Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and today I'm joined by former Disney animator, Mr. Tom Cito. Tom, welcome to the show. How are you? Very good. How are you doing? Oh, man. Fantastic. Uh, you know, I asked Aaron this question, and by Aaron, I mean Aaron Blaze. I asked him, what does it feel like to be a driving force of the animation renaissance back when you guys really just started ushering in hit after hit after hit? He told me it felt crazy, and it told me, like, they could not miss. What did it feel like to you just rebirthing animation and bringing it to its prominence that it was? Well, it was kind of amazing when it was happening because, um, because uh, you know, prior to the to that uh, you know uh, to that period, uh, you know, I did a lot of work in the uh, '70s and '80s, and, and worked on a lot of uh, you know, you know, the thing is, you work just as hard on the on the flop films as on the hits, so so, so you put in just as much effort and all. So, you know, so I've worked on movies like The Adventures of Raggedy Ann and Andy in 1977, and Star Chasers: The Legend of Orin in 3D and uh, Rock and Rule and all these different films, and 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 they would have like minimal success at best, and then starting with Who Framed Roger Rabbit, when the movie started to explode on the, on you know on the screen, we were like, wow, you know, and it's funny, you know, because on, on the outside people were like. Oh yeah, Disney's. You know, they just turn this stuff out. You know, they uh, hit after hit. There's no problem. On the inside, we're like, this can't last much longer. <laughs> like, I don't know if people will like Aladdin the way they like Beauty and the Beast. I don't know. Will they like Lion King? I don't know. And it's like, you know, and then boom, it's like a giant hit. And 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 it's still like a, a kind of a surprise when that uh, you know when you make that kind of impact. It, it's crazy to sit back and think almost 30 years. Well, it's probably a little bit over 30 years now, but yeah. is Aladdin going to hit? I mean, you're the animator for Genie, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I was one of like the, on the staff and everything of, of the Genie. Yeah. So that sidebar for just a second, Robin Williams is my favorite uh, actor of all time. Rest mm-hmm. in peace, Robin. Um, I mean, and he brought one of, probably top five greatest Disney character of all time. I mean, he makes tier lists all the time and a lot of it has to do with what you get. And a lot of it has to do with, with what he brought to the performance. He brought his side, you guys brought your side and it was like a match made in heaven type of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is it like? Just, is it, is it weird? I guess is what I'm getting at. You, you look back and you see most people say, this is just a job for me. That's all I was doing. I was clocking in. I love my job. I love doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, some people geek out about what they did, but y- you guys had a character in Genie, and then Robin took it to a whole nother level with his performance. But, I mean, what does it feel like to you just to sit there and say, man, I animated the Genie. That was me. That I was one of a bunch of guys that did it, but I was a part of that team. I, I, it, it makes you feel very proud. Yeah. It, yeah. And feel very fortunate that you were in the right time at the right place. Because sometimes people work on beautiful films. And for one reason or another, you know, like I have a lot of friends who worked on The Iron Giant. 
and and, and I thought, man, I wish I worked on Iron Giant. It was a beautiful <laughs> film, you know. But then, like, it went out and just died, you know. And it, and it was so sad because it's just like this this film deserves much better, you know. Or like um, uh, Cats Don't Dance from like you know the Turner classics, you know. That was a beautiful film. It was like Gene Kelly's last movie, and and um, and everybody who worked on that had a great time, but things always happen with some, you know, it's, it's a circumstance or whatever, but Aladdin just, just hit, you know, and, and, and just hit the audience at the right time. You know, like we, the thing we were concerned about when we were working on it was that Beauty and the Beast was such a classic love story. And, 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 and Aladdin was a little more broad. It was more of a vaudeville. It's like, you know, the, the, the jokes were more outrageous. They were more, uh, you know, the, you know, Robin was so over the top. And he was constantly doing illusions, you know, like at one point, Robin does an impersonation of Ed Sullivan. <laughs> and we had a whole, uh, we actually had a meeting about this. And we were like, like, does any kid under 60 get Ed Sullivan? <laughs> it's just like, I get Ed Sullivan, but I'm an old man. And, you know, but yet when we ran it for kids, they laughed. They just said he turned into a funny man. So like, okay. We'll leave it in, you know, the, he does. Uh, actually, the one I think that really dated was, uh, what's his name? Um, Orlando, not Orlando Bloom, Orlando, uh, I forgot his name. You know, the guy goes, whoo, 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 whoo. Yeah. you know, that, that thing, you know, with the, the flat haircut and stuff. Um, you know, that that kind of dated, but, you know, he did Jack Nicholson, he did Chevalier, he did, uh, uh, you know, and uh, and Ed Sullivan. And he's just like, okay, we'll just we'll just go with it, you know. Did you guys get to watch him perform? I know a lot of them have kept separate, you know, from animators to voice acting and all that other stuff. So interse intersecting with with different groups was, you know, sometimes a little difficult for some of the films. But did you guys get to watch them at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did go to a session and stuff. And um, uh, yeah, he's really nice. He's very funny and everything. And 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 when he's on, he's on, you know, and he's just improving like crazy everywhere. He, he posed with a bunch of us uh, for a photograph. And he said, he said, he said, okay, everybody pose. White rap, rap group, run BMW. <laughs> you know, and he's just throwing out lines like left and right and everything all over. But um but very sweet, you know, basically for every line in the script, he gave you like seven improvs. Then you sort of like, okay, let's, let's, let's use this one and not use that one, you know? And uh, it was fun. It was a lot of fun to work with. You know, when you're an animator, when you have a really good voice, you know, a really good voice actor, it's, it's, it's great because, because it inspires your work, you know, you know, you can visualize, you know, the character saying it, you know, when, when a character, uh, when a person has a more bland voice, it's a little harder to kind of coax, you know, how you're going to interpret, you know, you know, what the lines are. What would inspire you the most, you specifically, I know you can't talk for every artist, every animator out there, but what would inspire you specifically? Would it be movies that you would go and watch, you know, music, what would get you there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I enjoy, yeah, I enjoy movies. I enjoy music and stuff. Um, I, I'm of a generation where I was raised on the animation of the golden age of, of, of animation. So I was, grew up watching Pinocchio and Snow White, Jungle Book, and all. And and um, and uh, you know, and then on TV you see Bugs Bunny and you know uh, all those characters. And then I was. Um, I'm, I'm old enough that when I started in the 70s, a lot of golden age artists were, were ending their careers. Mm -hmm. So we had a chance to overlap. So I would, you know, be able to work with these guys. I'm like, tell me your secrets, old man. Tell me, you know. <laughs> oh, actually, uh, no, wake up, wake up. <laughs> 
tell me the secrets, you know. And you know, and the funny thing is, you know, the, the animation community is very small, and it's kind of like you know, you know, like professional baseball players will sit around and talk about the style of uh, Richie Jackson or Ty Cobb or uh, Carl Yastrzemski. Or, um, you know, boxers, you know, like Mike Tyson could talk about the style of Jack Johnson or Muhammad Ali, you know, they do their research. You know. uh, animators are the same way. We sit around and we talk about Milk Call and about Bill Teitler and Rod Scribner and, uh, uh, you know, classic golden age animators and like what made them special and like and what's great because it does, uh, it really does come down to a performance. You know, you're doing it, you know, you, you're not, you physically aren't doing it, but your drawings are creating that performance. And when it hits and everything, you know, it, it works, you know, it works really well. Now, when you're growing up as a young animator, who are you, I don't want to say borrowing from in a sense that you're, you're copying their art style, but who inspired you or who would you go out of, you know, cause you said you grew up on that classic Disney animation. Mm -hmm. So I got to imagine you had your favorite of the nine old men. So who, who did you gravitate more towards as far as art yeah. style goes? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah and, and, and like I say, it is good to like, you know, work off an example. I, I always tell my students, I said, you know, um, you know, early Beethoven sounded like Haydn. You know, because 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 he's learning from Haydn, you know, and, you know, early um, early Doonesbury looks like peanuts yeah. because because Gary Trudeau really, really liked Charles Schultz's work. And then they found their mature style. You know, um, I, I, I tended to go towards the looser animators like I like Bill Teitler mm -hmm. and everything. And I liked uh, Norm Ferguson, who, who did a lot of Pluto and everything. So it's it like one of the great Pluto specialists. Um, I, I had a chance to be the, uh, 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 a uh, be mentored by a guy named Seamus Culhane. Yeah. And uh, and uh, Seamus was uh, was an animator on, on Pinocchio and Snow White. He also did work at Fleischer's on Gulliver's Travels and Popeye and all. And he had a really varied career, you know, and, and I just learned so much from him. You, you know, I, I just uh, not just about being an artist. But also, you know, you know, he he had very good taste and everything, and 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 uh, he's like, you're like, you don't have to be rich to have good taste and stuff, you know. <laughs> and so I learned a lot from him about stuff, and 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 about an attitude towards towards working in the in the business. And uh, uh, you know, I feel like when I'm teaching and stuff, um, I'm honoring these guys by passing on what they taught me. You know, one of the other people I learned a lot from was. Um, well, uh, well, Rich Williams, obviously, but also uh, Benny Washam. Uh, Benny was a, was a lead animator for Chuck Jones. Um, uh, Benny would always do like the last shot in a, in a Bugs Bunny cartoon uh, when Bugs looks at camera and goes, and mud spelled backwards is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> that, was the, that was the Benny shot. Benny always did those. And, uh, but um, uh, uh, in his old age, Benny used to just, uh, you know, if, I was at Hanna-Barbera at the time and people would say, uh, you know about Benny's class? And I go, no. He goes, yeah, Tuesday nights, you know, go to Benny's house. You know, he teaches. I, I said, oh, okay. So, so I showed up at his home and he's sitting in his garage, you know, with the, with the door open and he just teaches you Warner Brothers animation. That's insane. I know. It's just crazy. You know? And I even said to him, I said, why did you charge for this? I mean, you can go to a college and, and get what you want. And he goes, well, animation's been really nice to me and this is my way of paying it back okay so i figured out i'm paying back benny <laughs> i'm paying my tuition to him i know but by moving his lessons onward so that, that's really cool and that's something i i really appreciate because we we talked a little bit 
uh, before we hit record and I told you why I was doing this podcast, but mm-hmm. I, I've said this on multiple occasions and I'm pretty sure you've, you've talked to him uh, on a consistent basis, but Jerry Beck, Jerry Beck is one of the smartest people I have ever talked to. Like I, and I don't want to make this sound negative. I felt dumber after talking to Jerry because he has forgotten more than I have ever or will ever learn about animation. Like I, I feel like me over the last two years has been a crash course in animation. I'm trying to learn as much as I possibly can, but I have noticed that you can only learn so much so quickly because if you just burn through shit, it goes right out your head. You'll remember little bits and pieces, but I've, I've noticed that posted notes are my best friends when it comes to all these animation books. And then I've, I've, I've tried buying one animation book a month. That way it'll give me time to read it and absorb it and, and hopefully retain it. So that way, when I talk to you guys, it just don't sound dumb, right? You know, mud spelled backwards is dumb. Um, so that's a callback, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but it, it's, you know, so trying to learn everything that you guys have, you know, learned over the last 30, 40, sometimes, depending on who I'm talking to, 50, even 60 years. You know, I had uh, Phil Roman on here not too long ago. And I mean, just listening oh, wow, to his good. Yeah, he was such a delightful person. I mean, I don't know if you knew him. You said you worked at Hanna-Barbera, but Bob yeah. Singer as well. I had Bob Singer yeah. on, um, another guy that was phenomenal. Just the stories yeah. and the they stuff that they would tell me. Yeah, man, it they was just there. cool. Um, so I really feel like I said, I'm, 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 I'm on the uptick. I'm learning as much as I possibly can. So every interview I take it, I'm pulling something from you guys and gals that I have on there. So I can, you know, put it into my memory bank. That way I can understand where you guys have come from, where you guys are going to go, because if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. I can't remember who said it. You're really good on the history quotes every, every day. I love looking at your social media pages. So whenever I see the day in history type of thing, I really enjoy that type of stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I always try to find stuff that has, that has a, a little humor in it instead of just a dry date, like this happened here, this happened there, this person died or whatever. You know, uh, I always try to, when I find something ironic, you know, or something that's, that's, that has a little character in it, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's fun to put it in. Yeah. You, you know, thing, you know, the, but, um, and really history evolved out of storytelling, you know, like the original historians, like, uh, like, uh, you know, like Homer and, um, you know, the Icelandic scalds and stuff, the, the singers were, were storytellers to tell the stories of heroes and recount their, you know, their exploits. And then people started to write them down and all. So this sort of heavy half mythology, half, you know, like if you read, um, like if you're into Tolkien and you're into Lord of the Rings and stuff, um, you should read, uh, the, there's a thing called the Elder Ada. Which is which is a, a, a Scandinavian uh, um, hero tales of of, um, of Viking heroes, and and uh, what's interesting is that he used to translate those, and, and like he was a professor at, at you know at Oxford, uh, you know for, for ancient languages, and and his students and all became uh, you know scholars in it, and it's interesting because you read it and you start going. Oh look, there's a there's a there's a shapeshifter, and there's a, a, a you know a troll, and there's a, you know, and there's elves, and you know, and you start to see all these like elements that Tolkien later used. You yeah. Know? And I was reading um um uh, it was it what, no it wasn't Orwell it was um the guy who wrote I Claudius uh, Robert Graves um, Graves was a, was a was an infantry uh, it was a combat uh, infantry officer in the First World War. 
and a lot of the British upper class, you know, the 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 the, the literary types yeah. were in the trenches with him. So he was he was sitting in the trenches with like A. A. Milne, who created Winnie the Pooh, and like and Wilfred Owen, the poet, and stuff. And 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 he knew Tolkien, and you know, and, and Tolkien was like, you know, uh, we should write a, a new mythology of like English characters you know and so because a lot of our stuff is celtic and a lot of stuff is scottish and irish he goes we should do a, an, an english sort of mythology and go yeah thanks a lot can you hand me the can you hand me some ammunition okay <laughs> can you imagine that shit though you've got bullets flying over your head and you want to sit here and just rewrite british history that's yeah, insane. I know. I know it's absolutely crazy. You know, you know, they said that one of the only he, he said one of the only reasons he survived survived was just before the Battle of the Somme, he was had to go back to England for an operation on a deviated septum because he couldn't breathe in gas masks because his because of his deviated septum. And while he was back in England, his his unit went over the top of the Somme and was like wiped out. And it's just like oh Jesus Christ, man. Like, you know, I'm doing fantasy here. Don't bother me with reality. You know? <laughs> it's crazy, those, those those type of stories that happen, like if you weren't here. So perfect example. I think it was Fred Seibert. Mm-hmm. Fred Seibert was the last president of Hanna-Barbera Studios before Hanna-Barbera kind of shut down and Cartoon Network really got his foot in the door. Yeah. Um, and he was telling me the story. Seth MacFarlane, the creator of Family Guy, the creator of the Cleveland Show, the creator of American yeah. Bad, was supposed to be on the flight. And I've told this story a couple of times, ladies and gentlemen, I apologize. But it, it, it I mean, we, I got to trade a Tolkien story with a MacFarlane story, at least. I mean, yeah. at least I could do, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was supposed to be on one of the planes uh, on September 11th. You know, if that happens, you don't get family guy rebooted four times you don't get american dad you don't get the cleveland show you don't get you know what is what was he doing the live action orwell or whatever it was you don't get all of this stuff and it's crazy to think just that one moment in history that he's like i got late cab ran late i bent down to tie my shoe and i missed my cab and he's here it's just wild to think about what could have happened type of thing you know what i mean yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We used to, uh, I mean, we would tease him. We'd say for the, for the second time, Seth is the luckiest bastard in animation. <laughs> we said the first one, he sold that show. Yeah. <laughs> Family second one, he missed flight 11. Yeah. <laughs> United flight 11 on 9-11. So it's like uh, uh, amazing stuff. You know? it, it really is. Now, you brought up a name that I want to circle back to and talking about history. We couldn't get away without talking about the great Dick Williams. Um, oh, yeah. I'm a huge fan. I just had uh, Gary K. Wolf on here not too long. I'm a huge fan of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You had a big part in that one as well. Mm -hmm. I heard his side of the story on how it really came to be. He took us through the, he gave us a master's class lessons from who was supposed to play Eddie Valiant, the different heads of Disney that wanted it from the changes from this to this to this. It was, it was insane just hearing the amount of shit that they really had to go through to get this movie off the ground and to know that this movie, in my opinion, is a perfect movie. There's there's a couple movies that I can say that about, but specifically two that deal with animation is you brought it up earlier, but uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and The Iron Giant. The Iron Giant is my favorite animated movie of all time. It is a gorgeous movie from start to finish. Brad Bird is a genius at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but Who Framed Roger Rabbit's up there. It's a phenomenal movie. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're working on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, how far are you into your career for this anyways? Uh, see, uh, what well, it, 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 it been? I, I started in 1975, okay. so, so so by 1987, 
Yeah, that's uh, it's already years. been a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. So it's already been a while. And then, you know, you know, I was a, you know, I'd already done a lot of Saturday morning. Like actually, when I started on Roger, I was at Filmation. We were doing He Man and Shira, and Fat Albert and uh, the Ghostbusters, and and um, and actually, I went to England on a holiday to have a. a um, to visit my friend Eric Goldberg, who later on became the, the lead animator of the Genie, because yeah. Eric and I had worked for Richard Williams in the past on, on Raggedy Inn. And, and um, while I was in England staying with Eric, and, and um, I went up to uh, Camden Town to the Roger Abbey unit to say hi to another friend who I worked with in Canada. And, and uh, while I was there, the, my, my Canadian friend said, why don't you go say hi to Dick? <laughs> I said, well, I haven't seen Dick in years, and I know he's mad at some people that I'm that that I'm friends with, and I don't know how to react. And and he goes, it only hurt for a minute. I go, oh, okay, all right. So so I walked over to his office, and I was like, hi, Dick, how are you? And 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 Dick goes, Cito, oh Cito, you have to work on this movie. You you're you're hired right now, you know. And and he and I said, well, my wife is a checker. She's hired too, you know. And, and, and he took me by the hand over to Don Hahn, who was the producer, and goes, Don, this is Tom Cito. He's funny. Hire him. And Don goes, you're hired. And that's how I got into Disney. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's insane. Yeah, you know, but but Dick was like that. He was very meant to battlefield promotions. You know, like he wasn't impressed by uh, credits or seniority or anything like that. If he saw talent, he would just jump on you. Like he um, he promoted James Baxter. You know, like James had James had just come out of school, and 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 was in the Matt and Roto department, which is you know you're you're inking the uh, the the cells that that black out you know to match with live action and it's it's very grunt work and everything it's very very meticulous but um but dick looked at his stuff and promoted him to animator right away and and like gave, gave him that jump up you know bump up and then james became james baxter <laughs> you know it's like terrific animator you know but dick was very good for spotting talented people you know so and, I like I like doing this when and we'll do this a couple of times because you've worked with a an amazing group of animators that and sadly a lot of them aren't here, um, you know. But since we're talking about Dick Williams, uh, what's your favorite Dick Williams story? Or if you if you when you ever hear that name, do you have a, a memory or a, a thought or an interaction that pops up? Well, Dick was really like a mentor to me too, and and that. I worked for him several times. I worked for him in, in England and I worked for him in New York and I worked for him in, in Hollywood. And, and, and every time I worked with him, my career jumped and, and everything, you know, it, it was, it was like a, a spark plug. And, and uh, because what I loved about Dick was that he was all about quality. Like, like he, he didn't care if the film made a lot of money. He didn't care what the success was. He, he wanted to make a beautiful movie and, and, and he would hold things back until he thought it was perfect you know like you know you know and and it, and it worked and and um, he really kind of inspired a lot of the his minions you know people like me you know to 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 really kind of you know, to, to really kind of aspire to be better you know and and say that you can you know and like one of my favorite stories that dick would say was that he says in your in your quest to be a, an artist you hit a series of walls you're always going to hit a wall like that and he says and you have to decide 
okay, what do I do to break through this wall? Maybe I should take a, 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 a course in, in animal drawing. Maybe I should learn a new software. Maybe I should take an improv class, you know? And then you break through that wall and you go a little further and you hit another wall. And he says, artists are always hitting walls. At a certain point, you think to yourself, well, my career is doing well. I'm, I'm steadily employed. I've got a, um, a, a vacation at condo in Maui. Uh, like, oh, oh, my kids are in school. I'm okay. And he says, the best artists never stop breaking walls. You never stop hitting those walls and breaking them. And, and I think that's true. And I think that, that's happened a lot in, in my career. I mean, when I went to Roger Rabbit, I could have stayed at Filmation. I was a director there. I was directing half hour shows. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I just thought, no, this is a chance to work for Dick and then work for, at Disney and, and, and the work, you know, and I read the script and, and, I, and, and I love the script. I mean, it was, when I read the script, I could already see the movie. It's yeah. like, there it is. Like, just, you know, I went the next day to Robert Zemeckis because in the 80s, so much stuff was compromised. You know, you start with an idea and then there's like pressure groups and, and parents groups to make sure you're not screwing up kids' minds and all. And <laughs> all, this, all this rubbish. And, and, um, and, and all your ideas get slowly gilded and torn to pieces and watered down. And, and, and you were used to that. Well, you know, I mean, even, even Zemeckis, Bob Zemeckis once said, uh, um, my job consists of I come to work in the morning and I compromise and I compromise and yeah. I compromise and I compromise, you know, but, but anyway, so I, I took the script home and I read it and I brought it in the next day and I went to Bob Zemeckis and said, this is, this is good. <laughs> like, I was almost like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, are we really going to do this? You know? And, and he actually looked a little offended, you know, cause he came out of screenwriting and he's like, of course we are. So, <laughs> far out <laughs> i'm happy <laughs> you know and and it was fun because you felt like for the first time in 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 years you know the 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 restraints were off and you if you wanted to hit a character with a frying pan or you wanted to like blow him up or something you could do it you know like and it was fine you know like on fat albert about the only physical humor i could get away with was spit takes yeah <laughs> you know you're not allowed to hit anybody you're not allowed to hurt anybody so characters are always going you know, you know, it's like endless spit takes <laughs> also. But that was TV in the 80s, you know. So like that. Now, did I've asked this question a few times, but and I've also set this question up a few times this way. However, I'd be remiss to not give it some kind of context. Um, did you ever watch wrestling back in the day? Oh, I remember the original Lucha Libre and everything. Yeah, so, yeah. Not the WWE, <laughs> not, 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 not that stuff, but, but so, all the... Go, go ahead. Old, uh, yeah, yeah, the old Bruno San Martino and uh, yeah. you know the, the, those folks, gorgeous George. You know. So with, I always draw this correlation between the two companies, WWE and Disney, and the reason I do that is because for wrestling, most people's Disney is WWE, and most people's WWE is Disney. If you want to talk vice versa, right? Hmm. So what I'm getting at is Disney is the pinnacle for animation for a lot of folks. Yeah. WWE is the pinnacle for wrestling for a lot of folks. Hmm. With that being said, and, you know, we talked about, you know, the Renaissance and the it started with Little Mermaid. So 89, the year I was born, mind you, the, uh, apparently that was the movie I watched on repeat on VHS when I was like a year or two old, uh, one or two years old. Yeah, I, I was teased about that for the longest time. There's a 
picture somewhere either my mom has it or my older sister has it of me with a little mermaid cake and i'm like maybe one and a half two years old somewhere around there somewhere <laughs> in that range um yeah. so little mermaid was a was a big one and i think it's just because i'm hold on one second i think it's just because i was a, a redheaded guy and i see somebody that looks like me i'm like oh shit you know they got red hair too and i got red hair um whether i have the foresight to think about that at two years old i have no idea yeah, it's funny. There was an argument uh, at the beginning of Mermaid about uh, about her hair color because because uh, one of our producers said, "Come on, everybody knows mermaids are blondes." <laughs> and what? What? Who said? You know, which animator said, is this? <laughs> I written, what is that written? I was a producer, and 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 but but then but thank God everybody said you know. First of all, the red, the red and the green and the blue is a really good match. And everything. It, look, it looks really good. And secondly, Splash had come out and everybody's going to say it's, it's going to look like a ripoff of, of Daryl Hannah. Yeah. So they went, oh, OK, so all right, we'll make her a redhead. So. But uh, the reason thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. I, I, did he sound so sure footed when he said that? Everybody knows mermaids are blonde. I want to yeah. know what that guy was really thinking. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Liquid well, lunch people, that day. Yeah, people are always throwing opinions out. You know, there's always like, you know, and, and especially creative people are always trying to second guess what the public's going to like. Yeah. It, 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 you know, there's always that kind of a, um, a back and forth and stuff, you know, because you're like, you're making the movie for yourself, but, uh, you know, you're also aware that like, you know, audiences, are they going to enjoy this? You know, like, like uh, um, I was head of story on Shrek for a long time at yeah. DreamWorks. And the weekend before Shrek opened, if you asked me what I was going to do, like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this, this ogre that makes fun of fairy tales and boogies to old R&B. You know, and it was a gigantic hit. And you're like, kid, <laughs> you know. You know, Ice Age was a surprise. Like nobody expected Ice Age to be a hit. And I want to, I want to put a pin in Shrek for just one second because I, I've actually no, actually, let's take that pin out. I got a funny story about Shrek, man. So when I saw that 2001 is when it came out. 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. Okay, so ten years old, eleven years old, somewhere around there, right? Mm-hmm. I'm watching this movie a few years ago, and I've got two. I got two kids. I got a twelve year old, and we have a nine month old. Mm-hmm. I'd like to say you can't really say that. Uh, a nine month old or a, you know, a baby after 12 years is a surprise because if you don't use protection, there's no such thing as a surprise. However, right. So I'm sitting here six or seven years ago with my oldest son. We're watching Shrek. He's watching Shrek for the first time. And I'm, you ever seen the movie? I am legend with a, uh, nope. Yeah. So there's that, there's that quote in there um, where, where, you know, the, the main actor, uh, he's he's going line by line and the little kid's like looking at him and he's doing all of the lines for Eddie Murphy and stuff, right? I'm essentially doing the same thing and my son just keeps looking over me. He's like, you've seen this movie? And I'm like, yeah, man, I've seen this movie. And he was like, but this movie came out in 2000, 2001. And I was like, yeah. He was like, you're old. And I was like, dude, <laughs> I, I'm only fucking 26, man. I'm not that old. And he was like, yeah, but this movie is a long time ago. I was like, dude, this movie literally came out 10 years ago. It's yeah. not that long. You know, it, it it's not that long ago. And he was like, man, my dad's old. Right. So that was yeah. the first time I'd ever gotten called old by my kid. <laughs> um, but uh, but going back, the reason I brought up the whole WWE and the Disney thing 
Mm-hmm. The dark ages of animation, which a lot of people would say the end of the 70s, well, mm-hmm. really the start of the 80s and right before Little Mermaid kind of hit, you know, with Don Blue Studios and everything like that. They tried to bring back the golden age of animation. And then you guys really knocked it out of the park with Little Mermaid and then Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, uh, Lion King, you know, and just it was hit after hit after hit, as Aaron Blaze said on the podcast. Um, yeah. Was the goal for most animators, even though the dark ages, I guess, of animation during the 80s, was it still Disney or was there a different mecca for animation during the 80s? Well, I, I think in the 80s, like like people people went where the work was, where, where there was something interesting to do. Like, like there was a period where London was doing a lot of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't doing, again, this is Richard Williams. And I think because Richard Williams was based in London and, and, and the people who worked with him and then left and formed their own studios, it was like children of the dragon's teeth. It's like wherever they landed, studios popped up and they competed quality versus quality. And, and so there's a lot of good work being done in, in England, but it was all commercials, like very little theatrical stuff being done. Um, of course, there's great stuff being done in Japan at the time, but Japan was very inward looking. You know, it was, it, uh, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the early period in, in the 80s and stuff, um, there was a lot of immigration issues where like, you know, like it was hard to hire a Korean. You know, it's like everybody was Japanese in it. Uh, now it, it's they, the government's open up and there's a lot more people from other countries working, working in anime right now. You know, plus the money's uh, had to get a lot better and everything because yeah. it's, it's hard to make a living. Um, but 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 uh, you would go. I mean, that's what you know. Uh, you know, I was in England. I went to Canada for a while because Nelvana was doing some interesting stuff. Um, there was a there was a project being done um, in, uh, in in Japan uh, by Tokyo Mushi Shinsha based on uh, Windsor McKay's uh, uh, little Little Nemo character. And then we're going to make a little Nemo feature. And uh, John Kanemaker was involved. Miyazaki was involved. Uh, Ta- Takahata was involved. Um, and and uh, Roger Ellis, who later directed Lion King, uh, and uh, you know was involved. So there was a lot of really good people working yeah. on that. And for one reason or not, the project, like you know, you know, just fell apart. Didn't, didn't go anywhere. Um, so there was a lot of those starts and stops. You know, where you thought something was going to happen. You know, you know, I mean, just like you know, the Disney Studio was all invested in um, uh, the Black Cauldron. Yeah. They thought the Black Cauldron was going to be like their turning big point. comeback. You know, yeah. We are back, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, it got its ass kicked by the Care Bears movie. Yeah. <laughs> Let's That's face an understatement, it. Tom. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, I didn't work on it, so I can say like, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but I'm actually, I'm actually, my next book I'm working on is a history of the animation renaissance, you know, because... I said, I was always funny that like when, when historians write about animation, they go right up to Walt Disney's death and Jungle Book, and then they stop, and then they restart with Mermaid, <laughs> you know, and you're like, wait a minute, a lot of stuff happened in between there, you know, American Tale and, uh, you know, Allegro Non Tropo, and there's a lot of interesting films being done in that time period, you know. I'm glad you brought up an American Tale, because as somebody that worked in, and I have not had, I told you earlier, I have not had the... Uh, the pleasure i've got a few guys and gals coming on from disney i got john pomeroy coming up um, oh yeah oh, John, john's a big bluth guy so you could ask yes. him about uh, all the well, blues that, that that's what i want to ask you because you were at the studios right at, well i don't think you were at the studios yet with a walkout in 77 i'm pretty sure being um, in the nation field you know a little bit about yeah, it you know? i was in i was in um it was in, uh, well, i was in new york in 77 but i know about the walkout i was in the 82 strike 
and all. Okay. So that, that, that was a big one and all. And, and that's the same year that, uh, that uh, NIM came out, Secret of NIM came out. So The reason I want to bring that up is because whenever I buy a new book, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is a free plug for Jerry Beck's uh, Facebook page, Cartoon Research is phenomenal. Yeah. You want to go on there, you want to watch trailers, you want to pick somebody's brain. I mean, there's so many experts there's so mm -hmm. many pseudo experts as well on that on that website that I've, I've found real quick. Um, mm -hmm. But one thing I did notice is I bought um, oh, shit. What is it called? Is the Frank and uh, Frank and Ollie book? Um, oh, yeah, illusions. Uh, illustrate illusions of life. I was going to say illustrations of life, but I knew that wasn't right. So thank you for correcting me. Um, and I posted the picture. Said I've been really waiting for this book. There was a seventy five dollar price tag. Mm -hmm. I, I am one of those people that I have a hard time. Like if something is over a certain amount of money, especially having a newborn, I'm like, ah, oh, man, do I want to buy? I, I go back and forth. Like I'll put it in, I'll put it in the cart and then I'll take it out. I'm like, no, I'll get it later. I'll put it in the cart and then I'll take it back out. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Roll the dice. I'm buying this. Right. I had worked like 60 plus hours that week. I'm like, man, I deserve something. You know, I haven't bought anything for myself. So I wanted this book for a long time. So I bought it, mm -hmm. posted the picture. And then somebody goes in the comments and he says, uh, that looks like the new and edited version. And I was like, what do you mean new and edited? like revised and he was like well yeah they revised all of the don blue stuff out of there and i'm like oh yeah yeah okay. I, I didn't understand what they were talking about and you yeah. brought up american town we're talking about disney we're talking about the dark period of uh of animation during the 80s even though there's a lot of good stuff that came out but you know mm -hmm. collectively a lot of people think that that's a down downtime for animation i gotta imagine you've had both books probably the first one that came out for frank and ollie and then you've probably got the new one um is there any weight to that is there any truth to that because i tried googling um, it but i couldn't really find a definitive answer it was more uh, opinion based. yeah i didn't have the um i didn't get the revised version i mean i got uh the book when it first came out yeah 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 i bought it in 1981 um in canada but but um and Frank and Ollie would come up to Toronto to see snow, you know, <laughs> Oh, look, Frank, snow. Oh, my God. You know? <laughs> Ollie told a great story about there's a, there was a little ferry in Toronto Harbor. Uh, uh, that's an ice cutter because the great lakes like freeze over, yeah. you know? And, 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 and so this, this little ferry would go back and forth from the, from the Harbor front to the center islands called, and it would, and it would crack through the ice. And 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 uh, Ollie said that he and Frank were standing on the bow. This is like in January, you know. You know, it's like it's like zero out there, two degrees outside <laughs> or something like that. And 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 a cracking through the snow. And he goes, "Yeah, Frank and I were out here and uh, on the bow, going, wow, this is magnificent.' And all the Canadians are in the heated compartment, going, those two stupid old men out there. What are they doing?'" <laughs> But to make a long story longer, uh, um, I don't. I, uh, yeah, I, I don't recall the edit part, but I know that the that the Disney company does do stuff like that because when when I quit Disney's, uh, uh, a lot of my the stuff that I did on the Fantasia continued was like was like suddenly like not there anymore, <laughs> and I said that's okay. But that, that was the that's a that's a company issue thing, you know, and and they and they're very conscious. They control their they're very conscious of their image and everything. They try to keep that, uh, you know, um, what you keep that Disney, uh, you know, tradition and legacy going and all. So, I mean, I understand it, but it's it's also I, I can't remember who said it, but it said uh, the. I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this quote, but it was something to the effect that uh, history is really decided by whoever wields the pencil and mm -hmm. there's nothing better than the eraser for that pencil. So people can erase just whatever they want or whatever doesn't fit their narrative. And it just seems like, and I don't want to bash Disney yeah. um, 
because it's it's easy. It's slow hanging fruit these days. I mean, it's it's very easy to bash Disney, um, mm-hmm. and they do a lot of good, but you know they could could do a lot better. Um, plus, I just don't want to get barred from from talking to a lot of these folks because depending on what you say and how you say it, you can really get one of those those lawsuits thrown your way and. I ain't got Disney money, Tom. I don't know about you, but I, I ain't got yeah. Disney money with them lawyers. So, you know, there's there's no smoke here. But I mean, it's just you would think with as much as much joy as that company has brought, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, something something along the lines of just erasing part of history. And I got to imagine those Don Bluth era, uh, there was a lot of people that got into animation specifically for people like Don Bluth and John Pomeroy and that whole yeah. initiative that walked out. Yeah. And if, if, if there's anything that makes something better, as I butcher the English language, it's competition, mm-hmm. right? So if Don Bluth studios is doing great, Disney's going to have to play catch up and vice versa. So if Disney's yeah. doing good and Don Bluth is still competing, I mean, it's forcing iron sharpens iron, right? It's that old adage. Oh Yeah. Absolutely. I just, I, I just always thought it was crazy. And like I said, when I saw that comment, it's, it's very hard to believe what people say online because yeah. it's so easy to just type whatever you want because nobody's really fact checking shit. When you go and fact check some stuff, you can kind of see what they're saying, but 90, yeah. 90, 90% of the time it's just blown out of proportion. But thank you for some shedding some light on that. I didn't know about the, uh, the art Babbitt thing. Like I said, I buy an animation book once a month and I try to absorb as much information as I possibly can. Um, that's sad. I, I'm glad they at least rectified, you know, whatever issues they had, you know, towards the end, because nobody wants to take that shit to the grave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, actually, when you, talk, when you talk about, you know, you know I, my first book <laughs> was, was, was about the was actually about the Disney strike, because I knew all the strikers. Yeah. And, everything, and, and I knew them all personally. And, and when I was working at Disney, uh, you know, being a Disney animator and stuff, you, you know, you're like part of the part of the the tribe and everything you know and people people sort of like uh, uh open up with that they may not do that to like a regular journalist uh yeah. you know mainstream historian but the thing about the, the the strike was that when you talk to the people who lived through it it was the most important thing in their lives like it really it changed their attitude you know like ward kimball and walt kelly were friends until the strike and then they were enemies after yeah. that you know, there was so many friendships were broken and so many relationships were different, you know, and, and uh, like I was talking with Maurice Noble, who's the great designer for Chuck Jones. And I'd say, Maurice, you know, come on on to the Disney lot. We'll have lunch. I'll get a lot of your old students together. You know, we'll all hang out. And Maurice goes, no, I might run into Frank Thomas, you know, from the strike. And I, and I was just like, wow, what happened that caused this? anger that that these guys take it to their graves i mean i'm at the i'm at the you know the 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 far end of my career now after 47 years and uh, there are people that you know hate me and there are people that i had anger but i would be for their friends again it doesn't matter anymore you know and but that this anger from the strikes just stayed and i thought what was this thing because when you read at that time when you read the official histories it's like, well, Walt had a wonderful family, and then a couple of commies tried to spoil the fun. And then World War II happened, <laughs> you know, because World War was like about six weeks after the strike was settled. You know, like Pearl Harbor was like, you know, it was like the strike was settled in like September, and Pearl Harbor was December, you know, yeah. so, so it was that soon. And, and, and the war kind of knocked everybody's, you know, issues, you know, to, to the curb. 
but uh, talking to the people who went through the strike and stuff, it was like the most important thing that that, that, that they had done. And um, I found it fascinating, you know, you know, just to hear people's um, story, you know, personal anecdotes, you know, what they went through and all. And uh, it, it's funny because I would, um, uh, again, too, it's like, you know, uh, you know, I would sit at in a bar or something, having a drink with a couple of old animators. And uh, Pete Alvarado, who was a wonderful layout guy for Chuck Jones, used to say, you know, someday somebody got to write all this stuff in a book. And I'm like, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, yeah, I mean, he used to say things like, I remember Leon Schlesinger's favorite phrase, I'm going to Palm Springs for the rest of the week and fuck you <laughs> <laughs> I never heard I never saw that in a book <laughs> funny <laughs> this, see this is the type of stuff that this is why I really enjoy this podcast because <clears throat> like you were just saying somebody should write this in a book because depending on mainstream journalists or regular journalists somebody doesn't have any kind of attachment to animation they just want the dirt they just want the scoop they just want whatever's going to clickbait so somebody can walk come over here and listen or watch I mean to an extent, that's what everybody wants to do. Everybody wants to have something where they can say, hey, man, come here and watch this or come see this. It's what yeah. media is. It's what content is. Yeah. But the fact of this podcast, I love hearing stories like this because it's like we're sitting at a bar, even though I don't drink. I like yeah. weed. I just don't like the taste of alcohol. It's, it's just not for me, right? It's never been for me. I prefer sweet tea in a joint over a beer, a shot of anything, any day of the week. Um, but that's what's great about about this this medium that we have now with podcasting is because I can sit back and just watch and hear how the sausage is made. You know, we mm -hmm. talked a little bit about what you've done, but I've really enjoyed just hearing the stories about the people you grew up, you know, admiring and, and idolizing and learning from. And you don't really get to hear that type of shit if it's the same. Okay, so what'd you do in Aladdin? Got you. Yeah. What was Robin Williams like? Got you. Oh, you worked on that with Bob Zemeckis. Cool. It's, it's just boring as fuck is what I'm getting at, Tom. You know, this yeah. is, I, I like seeing you guys let your hair down in a sense. I like seeing you yeah. guys tell these stories because when you guys go, when we go, when the next, uh, when the next set of animators go, oh, these yeah. stories kind of die if they're not out there. Luckily, in today's day and age, I don't want to say it's easy to write a book because I thought it was going to be easy because I've been writing some stuff down. It's yeah. fucking difficult, Tom. It is very, it is. very hard. It is. Right? It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, and Ernest Hemingway's famous quote where he said, he said, writing's easy. You just sit at the typewriter and bleed. <laughs> Isn't that nice? <laughs> That's what like it feels that. like. It's like a slow death, Tom. It, it is. It is. It, yeah. I mean, you know, the ultimate writing is rewriting. You know, the, the chapters that I thought we're so, okay, this is cut and dry. This will write itself. It's easy. You know, I wind up rewriting six times. Yeah. And then like by the sixth time I go, yeah, it's better. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, you just have to, you know, and, and uh, you have to uh, like, who was it? Uh, another famous guy, I forgot it was Stephen King or something said, a good book is never finished. It's merely abandoned. It was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And that's true too, you know, but, but it's the same thing with, with, with animation, you know, you could keep, writing stories you could keep changing the story um every disney film we worked on had like about uh, there's always a couple of songs that get cut like full numbers like really beautiful song you know like pocahontas had a beautiful number at the end um 
that uh, Cole, if I never knew you, uh, that, uh, that they wrote. And it's really, if it was, if we completed it early or something, maybe it would have won a Grammy or, some, you know, or, or an Oscar or something, because it's a really beautiful song, but it just didn't fit in the narrative. Yeah. You know, you know, and, and, and what we did is, this is why we do test audiences. Like, I didn't believe in the test audience thing until I saw it in action. And it's fascinating, you know, because the stuff that you think is absolutely going to kill, like it's absolutely hysterical. Uh, you you bring in an audience of strangers and you sit in the back of the room and watch and things that you thought were absolutely hysterical just lay there like a dead fish. Yeah. And then the way somebody uh, says something or the way two shots are cut together, the audience breaks up and you're like, okay, <laughs> you know, they like that, you know? And so when this song came up, it's, it's when um, John Smith is, is tied up in the tent in, uh, in the hut and he's going to be killed the next day. And Pocahontas comes in and they sing this tearful song together. If I never knew you like this. And what happened was we ran in for an audience, particularly of adolescents. And because um, they're a tough audience, because they've got no tact. If they hate oh, it, yeah. they, they let you know, you know. They're the honest people in the world. Yeah, that's why they're great. Yeah, so 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 we were running this for, for an audience, and um, and as soon as the key, the tinkly keys came up, and and all there's a groan came out of the audience. It was like, oh, another fucking song, you know. <laughs> and 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 actually, Alan, Alan Menken, the composer, got up and looked at us all, you know, including Michael Eisner, and said, "We got to cut that song." And yeah, and, you know, it's like the the only work of art that counts is the movie. The movie is the work of art. Everything else is process. So if you have to lose a song, you lose a song. I, I think Mary Poppins, the original Mary Poppins had the record for like six songs were cut. Jesus. You know, that's the most I've ever, I've ever heard, you know, but, but usually there's about two songs or one or two songs get cut out of every film and they're all good songs. They just don't fit in the narrative at a certain point. Do you, um, you brought that song in up and I'm glad you did. Uh, do you listen to podcasts at all? I mean, it's okay to say your favorite podcast, the What's yeah. My Head podcast. You know what I mean? Um, actually, actually, not 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 that much, and everything. You know, I I I, I listen to ones that I'm in, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but I think that it's funny, you know, because when I was doing more production, I used to listen to like director tracks on DVDs, and mm -hmm. I know I'm dating myself, but uh, but it's very interesting to hear Ridley Scott talk about you know, making Gladiator or something like that. And there was a lot of great stories in, it, in that. And, and um, so, so I get that once in a while, but, um, but modern podcasts, uh, uh, I don't listen to that much. So the only reason I bring it up, I'm glad you brought up the, the director's cuts because I absolutely love watching those. When I actually have time, I like just listening to, you can, cause there's generally two options. You could just watch bonus features, deleted scenes, blooper reel, that type of thing. But I like it depending on the, the DVD or Blu-ray you buy. You can go on there and you can watch it with the, the, the bonus tracks, the talk tracks where the directors and the actors, or the producers, the writers, whatever it is, uh, depending on what type of movie it is, they'll talk while they're watching the movie. So they're watching it with you and you're listening to like, oh, this is why we shot it this way. This is why we did this that way. And it's so eye opening because you see you see a movie one way as it is. Yeah, they're telling you every direction that they wanted to go, but the reason they went with this one is because it's more eye, it's more eye candy, it's more appealing. Your 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 mind is going to go to this way. Yeah. Why is the other beautiful shots that they were they had going around up here? 
But the reason I bring up the podcast, uh, I think you might like this one. Um, it's called Disorder, and they did every Disney film. So they started with the first Disney film, and then they went through the entire catalog of Disney feature films. And mm -hmm. I didn't know about the song that you had just talked about with Pocahontas until I heard that. And I think they play it at the end of their podcast. Oh, it's yeah. a sad damn song. And then you think yeah. about it, like, man, that would really pull you out of the moment for that because you you know you're hitting, you've already hit the climax, or that's pretty much close to the climax, and you're yeah. waiting for the hero's return type of thing, and then that just drops the entire mood and I never thought about it that way until you talked about it and then I heard that podcast not too long ago but it's like I said it's completely nothing about Disney I've talked to one of the guys a few times uh, but it's called Disorder uh, phenomenal podcast man these guys go super oh. deep and super nerdy uh, more oh. technical than I could ever get but they're phenomenal podcast yeah um but as we start to transition into the fans questions because we've been going for about an hour and I don't want to keep you too much longer but I would love to have you back. If you've had fun, I'd love to have you back on because there's no way we could do your entire career, or even the third of your career, a quarter of your career in just a, an hour because you've done so much. Um, so I'd really like, if you'd like to, I'd like to have you come back on and we can talk a little bit more in depth. We'll uh, we'll throw up, if you want to, we'll throw up uh, a couple topics and we can deep dive if you'd like to. Uh, we'll let the fans choose and everything like that. Um, but as we... I just, want to, I just want to jump in when you're talking about director tracks and stuff like one of my favorite examples that, you know, I, I showed a student so, um, also because um, doing storyboarding, uh, storyboarding is a lot, you know, you are very involved with the creation of the story. Yeah. And a lot of times when you're you're kicking around ideas like it's like everybody thinks a movie's created when like a, a writer sits at home at his hobby ranch in Montana and goes, oh, yes. <laughs> here's a script you know and like it doesn't work that way it's like it's like they write the script but then when it goes through the story process the the in the disney story process which is also the pixar and the dreamworks stories uh, uh we we kick around ideas you know you know and and sometimes whole plot lines get thrown out you know i i was sitting at a table when the guys from Pixar came out of a meeting uh, uh, on Toy Story, and I looked at Joe Raft, the head of story uh, on, on that film, on, on the first Toy Story, and I said, Joe, how'd the meeting go? And he didn't say anything. He looked at me and he rubbed his ass and went, <laughs> so that bad? He goes, yeah, bad. You know? <laughs> like, but, you know, the, the early version of Toy Story, uh, Woody was a lot darker character. Yeah. And he was actually trying to kill Buzz. He was actually trying to, like, off Buzz so that, so that he could be the, un, the undisputed leader of the toy room, you know. And so it was a much darker story. Um, but anyway, uh, 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 to make a long story longer, uh, uh, um, uh, one of the... Uh, I remember we had one meeting on Lion King where, where when, uh, um, uh, when, when Pumbaa and Timon and Simba come back to Pride Rock and, and, and Simba wants to challenge Scar for the leadership of the Pride, but he's got to get the, the, he's got to get the hyenas away from him. The, the, he's, you know, Scar is surrounded by too many hyenas. So he says, we got to figure out a way to distract the hyenas so I can challenge Scar mano a mano like one-to-one -one. um and, and what do we do so in the story department the writers and the story artists and the directors and our producers we're all standing around arguing about what could he say what could he say blah blah blah, blah. and at one point one guy yelled out hey maybe two months should say what do you want me to do put on a grass skirt and do the hula <laughs> yeah and, and the director went good 
That guy needs a raise. <laughs> yeah, and that went in the movie, and that's like one of the biggest laughs in the film. Is uh, you know, you know, is when he's doing the hula. He goes, "Are yeah. you aching? Yep, yep, yep. For some bacon? Yep, yep, yep." <laughs> you know, you know, it's it's a funny scene, you know, but a complete improv, just 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 pulled out pulled it out of his ass, just like and and there it is, it works, you know. The other uh, uh, one I like, although this is a live action version, uh, Ridley was talking about in Gladiator that the, in the opening sequence with the, the Roman legions going to fight the barbarians. Um, he wanted the Romans, like, like to the Romans, it's business. Like the barbarians are like, ooh, they're like yelling and war and stuff and war chants and all. Uh, to the Romans, it's like a job. It's like, okay, let's kick their asses and then do, do, then do lunch, you know. And, and you know, and, and it was very, very businesslike. And and, and uh, he wanted the the warrior, the, the Roman soldiers, to have a a macho motto or slogan, kind of like the Klingons. You know, like remember when the Klingons go, "Oh, I hope you die well." You know, like that's a you know they want them to say something like Ugh, something macho. So they're going like, "Oh, hail Caesar, or, mm, Ave Roma, Ugh, Roma Victor." You know, and they're trying all these different things, and it's like. And then Russell Crowe said, you know, my middle school in New Zealand had a motto painted over the door and it said strength and honor. Yeah, that's awesome. Strength and honor. Like, <laughs> good. good, you know, and it went in, <laughs> you know, so so it's like you never know where, where inspiration is going to come from. But then what, but being able to recognize it and go, OK, let's let's use that. You know, that that makes a success, you know. I, I know that there are some creative people in Hollywood that have an ego about if it didn't come from them, then they're not going to use it. But I find that the really good uh, filmmakers and people and all uh, uh, aren't, aren't so fussy about that. If it's a good idea, it goes in. You know, like Ron Howard's like that. He's really he's he really likes input from people and all. And, and, uh, and you know, and, and when you get a good idea, it's a good idea no matter where it comes from, so. Yeah, there was another guy. <clears throat> excuse me. I had Randy Myers on a few a uh, few weeks ago, um, and he actually wrote in a question. I don't know if you've ever got the chance to work with him, but he was an uh, animator as well. He did Samurai Jack, regular show, did a lot of yeah. Powerpuff Girls stuff like that. Um, and he was telling me the story about when he was working on Iron Giant with Brad Bird, where Brad Bird would have these sessions where everybody could come and pitch ideas for what was going on. He had this huge whiteboard, and they would pitch an idea. And or they would sketch it out or they had storyboards and he would listen to anybody and everybody, mm. whether you had an idea, whether you're a receptionist, whether you're a writer, whether you were taking out the trash, whether you're in catering, whatever. He would listen to the idea and then he would tell you, A, if it was a good idea or B, if, 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 if it just wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something that's I don't want to say it's missing because I'm not in your industry. So I'd be I'd be talking out of my ass and say, hey, you guys need to do this more. Um, but I, I do notice like seeing pictures of storyboard pitches or people in their actual room together instead of doing stuff like we're doing now where you guys are all secluded and drawing in your own art your, you know, your own arm jesus christ your own art rooms you know so it's it's that that getting to bounce an idea off of each other is, is definitely missing and, and randy was talking about how that's where you would find a lot of the the gold stuff like the the stuff that would really sell in these movies or really sell in these tv shows is just sitting there trying to make the person in the cubicle next to you laugh or have a good time or break up the stress because of deadlines and all this crazy shit 
you know, mm-hmm. so it, it's always interesting to see where inspiration comes from and how it makes it and how it how it progresses the movie and moves it forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I've like I said, I've had fun. We're going to rotate into some fans' questions, but before we do that, you showed us some books. And one book that I don't know if you showed while we we're on the camera, but you showed it to me before we started talking. You wrote a cookbook, and like yeah. I told you, I, I'm a restaurant guy. I'm a chef okay. by trade, so I really enjoyed seeing that. Eat, drink, and animate, and you got a little award there too. Yeah. Um, where yeah. does this one rank as far as books go that you've written? <laughs> well, it's fun. It, it, it's funny. It's one of those things that, you, you know, well, much like your podcast, there's an old Chinese proverb that said, uh, all great, uh, all great ideas begin as a hobby. And, 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 and I like that, you know, and, and, and the, the thing with this was when I was first starting my career working for Richard Williams, uh, Dick had me assist uh, work as the assistant to Grim Natwick, My- Myron Natwick, and Grim lived to be a hundred years old. Um, he was he was the animator who who designed Betty Boop. He actually sat with a blank piece of paper and created Betty Boop. You know, he taught Chuck Jones how how to how to animate. Like when Chuck got his first job at the Mint Studio, and he was sitting at the desk looking crestfallen because he didn't know what to do. Grim took him across the street, bought him an ice cream soda, and explained keys and in-betweens and arcs and squash and strip and you know and this is like the beginning of chuck's career so so i assisted Grimm. i was like 19 or 20 and grim was 87 and i was terrified i just was so so scared of him you know in awe but when i finished he was so nice he gave me his chili recipe and i said i've got because he's from missouri originally and he really lo- loves his chili so so i had grim's personal chili recipe and then uh, uh, later on, uh, I was talking with another animation historian a few years ago, and I said, you know, uh, t- talking about books, and I said, you know, I've got Grimm's personal chili recipe, and I've got Walt Disney's personal chili recipe, because Walt, like, loved chili. And, um, and I also, uh, when I was in Japan, I picked up a recipe from Miyazaki for ramen noodles. I said, I can write a cookbook. You know, and, and the other historian was John Alberto Bendazzi. He went, that's an incredible idea. Yes. You know, he sounded like Stromboli. He was like, yes, do that. You know, and um, it was the fastest paperwork I ever got. Just say to a publisher cookbook. And they're like, paperwork, you know, and like deal. You know, didn't even have to think about it. And then I started asking all my friends. And I found out when your full-time job consists of something that's very um, uh, uh, virtual, you know, like it's things on computer and stuff like that. Um, the way you relax is to do something tactile. Yes. I talked to a lot of programmers who um, their favorite thing to do is gardening, you know, or, or one of them like refinishes fr- antique furniture. And I know a bunch of them cook. It was just, it was just like, so, so, you know, I talked to Chuck Jones family and Frank Thomas's family. And I said, did Frank have a favorite recipe? <laughs> did, did he like to cook anything? He goes, and, and, and it's funny because at first they go, I don't think so. Then later on they go, you know, he did do this omelet. And I said, okay, give me that, you know. So I got 75 recipes. I've got a, a recipe from Bill Hanna. I got a recipe from, from Frank Thomas, from Eric Goldberg, um, you know, from the Richard Williams family. Um, just just about five Oscar winners, uh, uh, about three Emmy Award winners. Um, everything from like a really elaborate, you know, stuff to very, very simple, you know, uh, uh, dishes. Uh, there was one guy who used to, who used to direct death metal videos and, and you know, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and he did this thing called uh, 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 for a, a pickleback, which is, which is a, uh, 
a, was it a, a shot of bourbon and a shot of sour dill pickle juice. Throw back one, throw back the other, repeat. <laughs> like, you're like, okay, you know. Oh, actually, yeah, there's a number of anime. Well, Mark Davis, who created Cruella de Vil and uh, created Maleficent, uh, uh, um, had, had his signature martini. Mm-hmm. And, and Grim Natrick used to say, you haven't lived until you've had a Mark Davis martini. That's yeah. really, <laughs> I said, okay. You know, so, so, so I've got mixed drinks. I've got Brenda Chapman gave me her banana bread. I've got, you know, and it just, it was, it's, it was kind of fun. And the recipes all work, you know, they're, they're all actual, you know, you, know, you can actually, you can actually do them, you know, you know, all, all, all the different people. So it, it was, it was, a, it was a lot of, it was a labor of love. And, and it's, it's one of those kind of things that, it just comes to it just came together so fast that yeah. you're like this is working <laughs> like okay <laughs> that's awesome i was just actually in a chili cook-off on sunday uh we huh? got a people's choice award from a restaurant it's kind of i feel like it was rigged because we didn't finish top three but we got people's choice how everybody yeah. thought our chili was great except the four judges and it was hosted, <laughs> it was hosted. we raised money we raised some money for the police department yeah um, whenever uh the canine units Whenever the canines retire, you can take the dog home with you if it's if it's your dog. However, what you also take home with you with the canine is the canine vet bills. And with a lot of these dogs, they've been shot, they've been hit, they've been stabbed, you know, stuff like that. So the vet bills are pretty tremendous and you have to pay for those. So the money we raised this weekend was for um, I, I believe it was for uh, to cover some vet bills for some dogs. Um, that were getting some new homes. They were retiring and they were getting to go home and, you know, spend the rest of their days, not chasing people, but enjoying their life. Mm-hmm. So we raised some money to help them. Um, and, you know, so it was ra- It was uh, put on by the police officers and the police officers wanted the judges were police officers wives and ex-police yeah. officers. So I feel like it was rigged. Tom, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying there's, you know, some uh, some crazy shit going on at these chili cook-offs, but I think some crazy shit going on. Nonetheless, man, we got people's voice. <laughs> Um, so I would love, uh, is it still in print or do I have to find it on a secondary site? Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. All, all my stuff is on a, uh, which I've got an Amazon page and okay. everything with all my, all my writing on it and everything. And then, uh, yeah, the other one, well, besides, uh, I said the strike one, um, one of the other ones I wrote was, uh, I, I wrote a history of computer graphics. Okay. Stuff. This one called movie innovation. Um, the, the reason I did it was because. I, uh, in my career, I saw the digital revolution happening. Yeah. Like when I started, I remember the very early experiments. You'd go to like a film festival and usually like at 1030, the last show of the night, they showed the computer film, you know, you know, and it'd be like moving like really, really <laughs> weird. And, and, and they go someday, you know, and actually Seamus told me one day um, uh, uh, we were working together and he looked up from his typewriter and he goes, you know, computers are coming. Going to change everything business will never look the same and i'm like that's nice old man lie down <laughs> have, have some have some wheatina you know, you know? have this mark davis right. meet martini Calm yeah down. yeah have mark davis yeah <laughs> but it but it did it did change the whole world and then and then i was thinking and actually when i was writing the strike book i was trying to explain the digital transition and i and in order to explain the digital transition i had to explain where digital came from and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger you know because you know most people if they think it's cg at all they think well george lucas rubbed a lamp and pixar popped out and that's why we have three you know uh, you know that's why we have toy story and uh, it's much more complicated. You know, the government was involved, the military, 
beatniks, hippies, stoners, um, <laughs> all kinds of people, you know, all, all kinds of, uh, you know, one guy was doing acid and he was like, I want to make the computer do what I see in my head, you know, I'm like, <laughs> you know, and these were the pioneers. This was like in 1969, 1970. And, um, and nobody told their story, you know, yeah. and actually when I talked to the guys, you know, even they couldn't quite believe it. I said, you know, Jim, uh, Jurassic Park was 25 years ago. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's time to write history. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? But I find it fascinating how much of the stuff was done guerrilla. You know, it was just like people working on their own just at night, just doing something, you know, like Ralph Bayer, who created one of the early, earliest uh, interactive games, you know, the Magnavox Odyssey. Uh, he was working for a defense contractor in New Hampshire doing like gun sites for helicopter gunships for Vietnam. And, and, you know, and he just had a team of people and he's like, there's never anything on TV. It's always the same shows. Why can't you do something else with TV? Why can't you play a game on it? Yeah. So, so he says, well, I got a couple of engineers and I've got a budget. I could put them on that. Nobody will notice, you know, and, and while he was working on it, like his vice president went, came by and said, said, uh, said, Ralph, what are you doing? We're, we're not a fucking toy company. What are, you, what are you wasting your time on this thing? You know, but he created the Magnavox Odyssey, which was like the very first video game and not the first Space Wars was an earlier one, but that's another story. But, um, but uh, you know, you know, he got a medal from the, in the White House, a presidential medal of freedom or something for inventing the video game industry. And he just did this all in his spare time. Like amazing, you know. It's that's a fun read. I can't remember who said it, but it's it's not so much what you do at your nine to five, but it's what you do to that five or that six to twelve after you get off your work. So if you got some some hobbies, ladies and gentlemen, that you like to do that you wanna you wanna progress and you wanna get out of that nine to five job, make sure you make that six to twelve count. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna rotate into some fans' questions and we'll get okay. to as many as we can. Um Printing number 7337 wants to know, who is the best underdog screenwriter you've ever met? The best underdog? Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming he means uh, maybe somebody that's not mentioned in the mainstream media, somebody you might oh, not know of. Well, oh, I thought you meant the character. No, 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 the character. I had to reread that one a couple oh, times. Yeah. I'll see. Well, let's see. Um, blah, 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 um uh, should, uh, um, Irene Mackey is, is terrific. She, she used to write for Lily Tomlin. Mm-hmm. And 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 and, uh, and and she did a lot of writing for. Um, uh, she did a lot of work on Lion King, yeah. and everything. Very great sense of humor. Very very, very funny lady. And I think I think she's better known among other screenwriters than she is. You know, actually Carrie Fisher, who just passed away. Yeah. You know, the, the Princess Leia. She had a, a great reputation as a, as what we call script doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, in her, in her her later career, so it wasn't so much acting, but um, but she a, a script doctor is someone that a studio calls in when a, a story is already in production but is having obviously problems. So you bring somebody in and have have them take a pass at the script, and usually towards humor and stuff. And 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 Carrie had a great sense of humor, so she was actually one of the better script doctors in, in her day. Beautiful, I didn't know that, man. So thank you for sharing that. Um, Cameron writes in. <clears throat> And I'm going to butcher this artist's name. So you might have heard of him. Um, so you might be able to point me in the right direction as far as pronunciation of his name. But uh, Cameron writes, uh, Craig McCracken recently shared a heartfelt tribute following the passing of Jean-Claude Mazers. Do you know, do you know this artist? It's, uh, 
M E Z I E R E S. Mazers. Z A could possibly be. Um, I actually don't know. No. But uh, he, he brought that up. Uh, so he said he shared a heartfelt tribute following the passing of uh, Jean Claude. Jean Claude was uh, somebody Craig looked up to quite often. Uh, mm-hmm. He was like uh, his his guy that he tried to model himself after. Somebody that really drew inspiration from. Um, I, I know Craig and everything, but the, but but that name doesn't ring a bell to me. Sorry. No, it's, it's no problem. Uh, the only reason I wrote that is because uh, did you have a similar similar encounter with an artist that inspired you growing up? So um, Craig, when he was on the podcast last year, talked that he had you know got to go and meet with Jean Claude, and I think he got to actually go and spend some time over at Jean Claude's house, and he really just got to absorb uh, being around his hero essentially. So did you ever have a similar encounter with an artist that you, that inspired you or uh, yeah, inspired you growing up that you got to develop a relationship with? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, uh, you, you know, I got to meet, uh, you know, I, I got to know Chuck Jones really well. Mm-hmm. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I grew up like, you know, when you're a kid watching TV on Saturday morning and all after Walt Disney, the name you see most is Chuck Jones. Yes. You'll see that name up there and you go, that, that's the name. That's the guy. And then when I actually met him, I was like, wow, <laughs> that's, that's really, that's him. That's the guy, you know? And, I, and, and uh, we actually kind of clicked because it turns out that he likes history. Like I like history mm-hmm. and we like, he likes throwing anecdotes and telling stories. And I like telling stories. The first time I actually, it's fun. The first time I actually spoke to him, it was at the urinal uh, at the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences. <laughs> I was standing in the men's room and I'm going, Chuck Jones is standing next to me. Chuck Jones is standing next to me, you know? And, and, and Chuck leans over and he goes, I often wonder why do you wash your hands afterwards and not before? Because before is when you handle the important stuff. Afterwards doesn't really matter, does it? And I thought all my life when I was a child, I thought someday I'm going to talk to this man. And I never dreamed this would be the first conversation I'd ever have. <laughs> and uh, when I was at his, when I was at his, uh, his, uh, his funeral, I was talking with Marion and his wife, and I mentioned that story, and she goes, yeah, that sounds like Chuck. Because <laughs> he had a naughty sense of humor, too, so. <laughs> no, I can imagine, man. You kind of got to with, uh, you know, doing what you guys do. You guys are consistently working under the gun, man, so you got to, and a lot of it, I'm, I'm talking out of turn. I just read his book, so I feel like I should know this, but he, he spent some time in the military, didn't he? Who's that? Chuck Jones spent some time in the military, didn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Chuck was in the army, the army motion picture corps, and everything was just they're making training films. They do the private snafu films and stuff, which is telling soldiers like don't get VD and uh, <laughs> don't tell secrets, <laughs> all, all that kind of stuff. So the only reason I bring that up is because I know Disney, Disney and did uh, some. When I say did some time, because that's the way you look at it when you're in the military. It's like it's yeah. like you're in prison. So it's like yeah, I mean, I did some time, um, but. Uh, you definitely have a different sense of humor once you're in the military. It's, it's definitely not PC. Uh, it's definitely like everybody just rags on everybody for yeah. everything. Stereotypes go out the window. It's, it's just whatever you can get to make the person next to you laugh. The, you're just talking yeah. crazy amounts of shit, you yeah. know? So you definitely see that. Uh, or I could see that just, just from the story you just told, uh, because yeah. I'm assuming war changes some people. I never saw some war. I was on a boat, but you know, oh, yeah. I know some yeah. people. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's a thing too, that I've noticed because uh, not, because I did some Sesame street and some children's television workshop and all. And I noticed that like, there's a, there's, there's a level of like the cuter your stuff is the more for like little children, your sense of humor is going to be raunchy off camera. Dark, <laughs> yes. <laughs> just to, just to kind of like, just as a balance, just to kind yeah. of, you know, step back from that and everything. So, so yeah, he was, some pretty raunchy jokes would come out. You know? <laughs> so. <laughs> Cameron had uh, two more here. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, he he wanted to know what was the hardest project for you as far as meeting a deadline goes. One stuck out to you? Uh, let's see. Um, I'd say probably Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It was, yeah. it was a very a very difficult film to do, and, and, and matching all the live action, you know, and everything. A lot of the retakes we did was was called registration. Which is which that you see you see a, um, a character uh, you know when they shot the movie they basically shot the movie uh, with with the character not there just like empty seat mm -hmm. so if the character picks something up or something you, you know it's uh, this is on a this is on like a a, a little um, uh, um, armature or something like that because you know because 3D wasn't good enough yet and everything couldn't do so if the character is holding a gun it was a real gun and they put it on a stick and they had guys from muppets that were like you know holding it up but you had to match your character to the to the gun and everything and 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 if the camera even did this a little bit that's perspective mm -hmm. because you know animation perspective is perfect so you had to match the perspective of the of the of the camera angle you know richard like richard said they did a lockdown camera in the at the beginning of the film but they said it looked it didn't look good it looked kind of fakey like it didn't it, it didn't have energy so so dick's motto is the best way to do something is the hard way you know? <laughs> so so he told zemeckis just shoot your movie shoot the movie and we'll match it yeah you know and and, and so, so when you looked at the rough cut of the movie it was already a really good Robert Zemeckis Spielbergian type action comedy, except there was no characters in it, mm -hmm. and you had to put the characters in there, you know. And and, and that was the majority of the retakes. So I, I, we were doing uh, for like three months or something. We were doing seven day weeks and like twelve hour days. And, you know, when the film ended, I got sick for a week. It was just just <laughs> bouncing back, you, you know. But it was all worth it in the end. You're like. It's a good movie. <laughs> oh, man. Good is an understatement, Tom. It is a phenomenal yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny, you know, when you're talking before about journalists and interviews, there was this, uh, there was some some journalists prowling around who came from from publications that were kind of well known for like the, trying to find dirt, like trying to find scandal and stuff. And they say, "Don't you feel your skills on a, as an artist are being exploited by ruthless businessmen just to make money?" And I'm like, "Yeah, but it's a good movie." <laughs> The movie's good. <laughs> Exploit like me, please. I want to work on yeah. good movies. I don't care. As, a, as long as it's a funny movie. <laughs> Staying on Roger Rabbit for just a second, man. Uh, like I said, we bounced a little bit all over the place, just trying to cover as much as we could for the fans. You know, we got a little bit of Aladdin, a little bit of Lion King, you know, um, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, man. But uh, just for Roger Rabbit, man, you got a favorite scene that you worked on and a favorite scene maybe you didn't work on, maybe one of your friends worked on? Uh, what on Roger? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick Ranieri did this really nice scene of 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 when 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 Roger first like 
jumps down uh, uh, like bursts out of the uh, out of the uh, drain pipe whatever the water and then jumps down with a, a, a with a fake gun and says and and and, and says says put him up there doom you, you know and and kind of does his face off and he's i'll save you my love you know you know but first i have to express my moral outrage you know and <laughs> Really nice piece of acting that 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 that, that Nick did, and uh, very funny, uh, very funny cut. You know, it's like a yeah. I wish I had done that one, but that's uh, that's okay. I had fun, and I had plenty of shots. I actually got to do some of the last lip sync of Mel Blanc. Really? So, yeah, yeah. Mel Blanc was doing the the Warner characters, and I had and at the end of the uh, you know I had Sylvester uh, uh, um, when when um, when the guys are looking at Mel to judge Doom. Um, uh, he says, uh, and Bugs goes, well, I'll tell you one thing, Doc, that wasn't no rabbit, you know, or a sheep, <laughs> or a dog. And, and Sylvester goes, or a puffy. <laughs> <laughs> and with the spit, you know, because the character yeah. has to spit, you know. And, and actually, it caused a little stir because, because the, the, the Lance people thought I was spitting on Woody Woodpecker. <laughs> like this, no it's just the way just the way he talks you know but then like uh, andreas did the uh the, the uh porky going that's all folks at the very ending you know i think i was the last one and and mel died like like four months after the movie came out so no i don't know if anything else i can't remember where i heard this and it might just be one of those things that it's just hearsay but mel blank was the the only voice he did for a Disney movie, a Disney feature film, for the life of me, I can't remember the cat's name. It was with, uh, was it with Honest John and Pinocchio? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Gideon and, and, uh, and, and Pinocchio. Yeah, yeah it was, was Honest John's uh, henchman. Was that the only voice? I, I heard somebody say it. I don't know if it's true or not. I should have Googled it before. Um, yeah. But I figured you're an animation historian, so you probably know this answer. So I'm going to pick your brain. Yeah. Uh, um, was that the only I, voice Mel Blanc ever did for a Disney feature film? I don't know offhand and everything. I, I think so. Yeah. yeah, I can't think of another one he ever did. He ever did for them. Yeah, and and, and Gideon. At one point they were going to give Gideon dialogue, and then they just thought, no, let's just have yeah. him be silent. But 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 he goes, you know, or something like he does a hiccup thing or something. Yeah, I think that, that was the only yeah. recorded Disney line for Mel yeah. Blanc. So yeah. Yeah. Like like June Foray, who did, you know, Rocky the Flying yes. Squirrel and everything. She 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 did a couple of uh, she did some stuff in Peter Pan for like the the, uh, the some of the the mermaids and the Indian maidens and things mm -hmm. like that. So so she did some of that and, uh, and, and a couple of other like sort of background characters. Was there anybody dressed better in Disney animation than Captain Hook? <laughs> yeah right yeah no 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 he was he, he was very well done yeah he he was very dressy and also <laughs> he's my favorite villain of all time i mean oh he, yeah he dressed oh, yeah. as he is shit i mean the voice yeah. the character had, his cadence phenomenal yeah i had a chance to animate him on a, a on a disneyland commercial there was a commercial about uh, around Halloween and it was all the Disney villains all talking about, you know, Halloween at Disneyland and stuff. And Captain Hook is on a roller coaster and stuff. And it's like, and I had fun. Hey, I got to do Captain Hook, you know? So I was joking with Frank Thomas about it and everything. And said, give me some tips. Tell me what to do. <laughs> also. Do, do you know the uh, fan theory or, you know, it's one of those things that, that people like to do where Peter Pan is actually the bad guy and Captain Hook is the good guy. You ever heard that? <laughs> I've heard about some of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I heard like somebody, somebody recut the trailer of Mary Poppins and turned it into like a, um, a, 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 a teenage like horror movie, you know, like Saw. <laughs> 
like that. So <laughs> pretty funny. It's pretty funny. Yeah, the internet never loses, man. They're uh, keep you on your toes. Um, yeah. You touched on this one a little bit ago with the uh, with the book, and I think you said Seamus Cohen. Uh, but having worked in, and this is from Cameron as well. This is the last one he had. Nope, that's a lie. He has a two more. Uh, having worked in the ink and paint era and the digital era, how do you feel about the changes in technology? Well, I think um, the the um, which, uh, uh, CG, you know, I mean, computer graphics, uh, uh, brought a lot of range to to animation that was hard to get before you know like um little mermaid was like the last traditionally painted feature mm -hmm. and 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 when we we're doing mermaid when you picked ariel's colors they had they, they had ariel daytime ariel nighttime and then the the special scene when Ur ursula is doing the, the spell on her and she's illuminated by the glow of the cauldron so three color you know basically three sets of colors that's it and, and you can't do anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, when with digital, you can art direct every shot. You could change the colors in every scene practically. You, you know, and so you have a lot more range like that. Just like you know the multiplane stuff, where they used to do a lot of depth of field and and and, and you know make the thing feel this is closer, this is further away. Yeah. So you could you know CG could do that easily. The, the camera moves that are so complicated to do. You know, I mean, I could I could say when I started, you had to calculate your own camera moves. You know, so so this is what is called compensating pan, which is like if you have a character standing still, and then he starts walking, and the background is moving behind him, you have to calibrate with a hundredth of an inch how many increments are moving per frame for it to be perfect because if the if the if the walk is not calibrated correctly it looks like he's skating yeah slipping you know that's when it's done incorrectly and it all has to be on ones because if you pan on if you pan if you know if you move the camera on twos then you see yeah you know it does that you know um so that was like really so so when that went to digital i'm like great <laughs> Let they can have it, but uh, I, I think one of the things I'm, I'm afraid, I'm worried about losing, is that individual performance. You know, when you could go, that's a Bill Titler scene, that's a Mark Davis scene, that's an Eric Goldberg scene. You know, and you knew just from the style. You you know, you know, like uh, Eric um, could look at a Tom and Jerry and point out the animators just based on their style. Yeah. Oh, that's Ed Barge. Oh, yeah, that's Kenny Muse. Oh yeah, that's but you know, and 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 you could see it's like the individual style of an actor. You could tell an actor's style. It's the same thing. You could tell a, a, a good animator's style. You know, uh, and, and I'm just kind of worried that uh, are we losing that? I mean, some CG people who are who are like heavy duty CG animators will say, "No, I can see the style." It's like, okay, you know, I, I mean, I'm I'm not the I'm not the first one to go. You know, you know, maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm too old. I don't know, but. Uh, you know, it's an interesting dis discussion. You know, I hope that 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 per, uh, personal performance remains, you know, into the future. You know, you know, regardless of because it's still it's still um, animation is still the same uh, kind of performance, whether it's you're using a stylus or you're using a pencil or you're using claymation or you or whatever. You know, it's still a style. You know, I mean, one of the reasons we like the Ardman stuff is the character stuff is so good and uh, and it's claymation you know it's like this is the simplest form of animation like just like pressing little you know bits of clay and but it, it works and all it's it's funny so 
Beautiful. Um, Randy, I, I told you Randy wrote in a little bit ago. Randy Myers, mm-hmm. animation director here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, check out that episode. It's a phenomenal episode. Two-parter. Um, is it true that you would animate with a Sharpie? <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. That is <laughs> insane. It is crazy. I know. <laughs> Why? Well, I'm crazy. That's it. Uh, uh, <laughs> Well, it's because I was getting too precious with the drawings and I wanted to think in pure movement. I wanted to think movement and not get hung up on details. And it's something actually I learned from Bill Teitler because Teitler would talk about uh, 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 when you're drawing animation, you're not drawing a figure, you're drawing forces. He says, he says you have to animate the forces and then that comes in later. So you look at a lot of his stuff and it's very kind of like scribbly and everything because he's, 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 he's working on the, the main moving elements and then you kind of match the character into it afterwards. And, 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 and I found uh, using a Sharpie allowed me to, to move very fast and not make a lot of, um, uh, get too precious. On a lot of stuff, and then I would do a tighter rough. You know, the assistants hated me. They hated. Me. <laughs> I drove them crazy. That that's just that's baffling. Um, my buddy Dustin, he's uh, another Navy guy. Uh, what was your favorite character to animate? Oh, let's see. Um, there's, a, there's a bunch. Uh, you know, um, let's see. Um, let's say, let's say Roger Rabbit was fun. Uh, the genie was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, you know the, the nice thing about Roger Rabbit was getting to work with old characters. Like I got to do some Wile E. Coyote and, you know, things like that. And, and uh, you know, and the great thing about working with an old character, oh, oh yeah, I got to do some Yogi Bear too on, on a commercial. And, and, you know, and the great thing about working with an old design is there's so much intelligence that goes into that design. Like the great thing about the original Yogi Bear is that, is that, once you start drawing him in 15 minutes, you're drawing him like you drew him all your life. You're just like, this is, you know, this is a really sophisticated design because yeah. it's, it's really easy to get, you know, like if you're struggling, then maybe it's not that great a design, you know, but, <laughs> but like the Ed Benedict 1960s, you know, Yogi Bear, the design is really easy to pick up and it's fun, you know, and you can animate it full, you can animate it limited, you can put it on ones, you can put it on fours, and it always works. And, you know, it, it always looks good, you know. And, and um, uh, so I think that design was is fun. Wiley Coyote's fun. Uh, Daffy Duck is fun. Yeah. And Daffy's a lot of fun to throw around, you know. You know, Chuck's famous quote where, where somebody asked him, What character do you think you're most like? He says, Well, I'd really like to think I'm Bugs, but I'm afraid I'm probably Daffy. So. <laughs> I think a lot of us could can see that, you know. Donald Duck was fun too. Donald's a little harder to draw than Daffy. The proportions are a little different. The eyes are separate. They're not together. They're separate, you know. And the head is a little rounder, you know. And the beak is a little more squared off than than, than Daffy. But um, but, and he, you know, like Daffy, you could draw and get loose with and stuff. Donald, it's a little, uh, you know, it's very easy to go off model. And then you suddenly got a, a different duck. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's a famous story. Um, I think it was in a, it was an old Woody Allen movie. I think The Front or something of a screenwriter who was talking about a bestiary of humor. And he goes, ducks, ducks are funny. Horses aren't funny. Chickens, chickens are funny. Pigs are funny. 
you know and he just starts running down his list finally he gets to like giraffes giraffes aren't funny they look funny but they're not funny <laughs> and you know he's right he's true you look at a giraffe and you go that's an interesting looking animal but uh, you know like right now like in my backyard we're getting a lot of migratory ducks and stuff mm-hmm. and running around in my pool and uh I, you watch them and they make you smile yeah <laughs> just they're funny <laughs> it's true <laughs> yeah baby baby ducks man i love seeing them because uh in florida now spring is spring is sprung almost it's it's oh, yeah. either summer or spring it's never winter it's never fall yeah. here in florida it's miserable uh, um, uh. but the 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 babies are starting to come out so i was uh. outside changing out my bird feeder yeah and i think they might have been blue jays or they were they were um oh, oh. Shit, it was either blue jays or, or uh I can't think of the other one anyways um but I, I heard him and i saw the nest up there and like oh shit it's that time of year because i i love sitting outside i love seeing the birds come down and oh yeah right right down the street there's a lake so um yeah. we heard him before we saw him and this was last year but we heard him before we saw him and all you hear is quack 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 like, yeah they sound really really close and then yeah. it was just a gaggle of them so the the mom or the dad was in front and then all the baby ducks were essentially following the mom and they couldn't oh. find the pond essentially so yeah. they're sitting there they're going they're hiding behind the car and then they come back around they're looking through this side and the guy finally opened up his gate so they could get back to the pond but all you see is just this row of ducks and baby ducks just walking down the pond so it's something about those little animals that make you bring a smile to your face so yeah, yeah they make you smile yeah there's a, there's a famous quote of winston Churchill's um where, where uh, Churchill had a great sense of humor with his stuff and and uh, he he was he, he was sitting in a farmyard looking at at, at, a, at a pig pet looking mm-hmm. at all these pigs and he goes dogs look up at you cats look down on you pigs look at you as an equal that <laughs> <laughs> <Isn't> great <laughs> I love mine yeah. it's like and we get a we get a couple more, and then uh, and then we'll call it. Uh, I, I like that sharpie one, Randy. So thank you for writing. That's, that's still just so fucking insane. Um, <laughs> uh, Matthew Coleman wants to know: Do you ever, or do you think Disney would be open to doing another two D animated feature? Mm-hmm. Um, I hope so. I hope it'll be. It, 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 you know, a lot of times whether that happens or not has to do with the management and everything like who's who's running the place right now you know like like we were lucky that we had Roy Disney and everything and Roy Disney really felt the Disney legacy you know I mean Roy was a was a was a gentle man he's very quiet man Uh, uh, but he's very effective I mean things happen you know because Roy wanted them to happen and uh and and I remember like Roy Roy would you know would sit quietly next to me and go people's Ask if I care. I gotta care. My name's on the damn door. <laughs> and he and he was serious. He was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." You know, I mean, he died in two thousand nine, and I really felt like some of the spirit. You know, you know, like I don't know if it's still there. You know, you know the company, but but um, but that could change. I mean, I, I mean, like you saw in in the in the uh, in the Renaissance. You know, you know when 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 Roy Disney replaced you know um, uh, Ron Miller and stuff, and 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 brought in Katzenberg and Eisner and all those folks. And all, the company turned around really fast. And, and, and you know, you know, and and everybody at that time was thought that animation was finished. You, you know, like they were going to get rid of animation. And actually, Eisner and Katzenberg 
when they looked at the whole company, did advise Roy get rid of animation. It's just a bunch of old men, you know, who who play golf and make a movie every five years, yeah. and and you know, <laughs> and like we'll live off the licensing, we'll just subcontract the license. And Roy Disney said no. Animation is the lifeblood of the, is the heartbeat of this company. Mm-hmm. We'll never not be making animation. And Roy insisted on that. And you're like, yes, sir. You know, because I'm my favorite, my favorite billionaire. <laughs> you know, doesn't have a gold toilet. That's a really, really nice man. But um, but anyway, um, uh, uh, which um, I think I think it could happen and everything. You know, I mean, they'd, they'd, they'd have to do a lot of like rebuilding it too because they lost a lot of their personnel. I mean, there's like there's only about four four or five animators to who. Had, have experience working on Fiji, you know, like Mark Hen and Eric Goldberg and uh, Randy Haycock and stuff. Um, but, you know, I'd never say never. You know, I, I mean, actually, and, and again, too, is another thing about the current book I'm writing is when I started in the 70s, a lot of the old Golden Age people would say, you know, all that old crap you love, like Pinocchio and Tex Avery, that's never coming back. That's, that was done with the depressionary economics. You'll never see that again. You know, that's not going to happen. You know, the future is yellow submarine, more yellow submarine. <laughs> and that was the attitude in the 70s. He's just like, you know, but we but we changed it, you know, and just like when I started in animation in 1975, if you told me 15 years in the future, the most important show on television is going to be an animated primetime show with a yellow kid with a jagged head. <laughs> I say you're out of your mind. That's never going to happen. Like 33 years later, here we are. I know. I, I know. I had, I, had, I had some students in, uh, you know, because I started teaching in like 1996, 1994, actually. And, and, and one of my first classes was, uh, was a fellow named Brad Abelson. And Brad really loved The Simpsons. And all he wanted to do was work on The Simpsons. You know, and, and I'm like, well, Brad, what if they don't hire you? You know, you're not going to give up on animation. You want to get another job. He's like, no, no. You know, and he graduated and he went to The Simpsons and he became a director and he spent like years there. And I think he's going to retire soon. And I'm just like on The Simpsons. Like, you know, like, you know, before The Simpsons, the longest running animated series was The Flintstones yeah. at six years. That's insane. You know, The Jetsons was two, two seasons. You know, and, and but yet 34 years of one show. How does that happen? The it's Simpsons incredible. is older than me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, actually, I was packing my bags to, to, to go to London to work on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And one of my friends was David Silverman, who's the senior director on The Simpsons. And he says, yeah, um, Wes and I are going to work with uh, Matt Groening. And, you know, and he's designing the sitcom like the Flintstones. And I go, David, what's it called? And he goes, The Simpsons. And I go, well, David, that doesn't sound funny. You know, work on something good. You know, know, like, get a real job, you know? (laughs) I'm like, okay, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. You know, it's like, who knew that that it would take off like that? So God bless them all. So, Do you you know the name? We got uh, two more questions and then we'll uh, we'll call it. But uh, do you know the name Maxwell Adams? No. Okay, so he's an animator. He created the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, a show for Cartoon Network, um, 2000-ish, 2001 to 2007, I think. 
Um, but uh, uh, he, he, I believe it was him. So Maxwell, if you're listening, I apologize if this wasn't you, but I'm pretty sure it was him. Um, but he was telling me how uh, there was two shows that he was trying to decide on which one to go with. Um, mm-hmm. I believe he was saying Dumb and Dumber was a, it was a, it was a TV show or it was an a, uh, animated show. And they had this other show that was coming out that nobody had ever heard of from the creator of Beavis and Butthead called King of the Hill, right? So Dumb and Dumber was a property that everybody knew they already did one season. So he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure Dumb and Dumber is going to be here for the state. Nobody knows what King of the Hill is. King of the Hill is just never going to be around. So he's like, I did the yeah. smart choice and I stayed with Dumb and Dumber. And then Dumb and Dumber ended and then I couldn't get on King of the Hill. So he's like, well, shit, right? So uh, that was a little story about, hey, man, get a a job, get on a show that lasts, and then you take the one that you think is going to last, and then the one that you didn't think was going to last blows up huge. That was my favorite animated sitcom from from that era. I I love King of the Hill. It's a phenomenal TV show. Um, I mean, mean, after Roger Rabbit, I was offered... um, you know, I went on to Little Mermaid, and, and but I had a choice between Little Mermaid or Ren and Stimpy. Because <laughs> I got off, because John Kay asked me if I want to work on Ren and Stimpy. And I was like, I want to do the Disney thing. You know, uh, I just, I just, I, I got to know what it feels like to to do one in Burbank, you know, and everything. So, mm-hmm. and yeah, and then, I mean, I loved Ren and Stimpy, especially the first season, but it's only like two seasons. Yeah. You know, and that was it. So, oh well. Yeah, that was that was one that I used to shit on consistently. It's just it wasn't my it wasn't my thing. Bob Camp did a phenomenal job with what he was handing out. Yeah. John Kay is a name that he who must not be named type of thing, a Lord Voldemort right. character, if you will. Um, That's right. But it it's it, it's grown on me like like most shows do as you get older and you start to get rid of those preconceived notions on what you used to think was good or what you, you, you build up these walls and these, these theories on why you don't like something, you know, you just, I didn't like it because it wasn't a thing. And then you try something down the road. It's like trying a food you didn't like as a kid, but you try it as a dog. You're like, Holy shit. I like this. Why didn't I try this shit 10 years sooner? Same thing with Brenda. Yeah. I'm starting to come around to it. Um, last two questions. One's introspective. And one is your animation recommendations, something new that we've just started over the last couple of weeks. Um, we get a lot of repeat guests that like to come back on and talk about their careers, because like I said, we jump all over the place. But another one we get is word of mouth. <clears throat> now, with animation recommendation, is there a person do you think would have a fun time on this show like you have? Is there somebody you'd like to recommend? Oh, f- oh to come on this show? Yeah. Uh, We're putting it out in the universe. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I'd say um, if you could get him, maybe Mark Hausler, you know. Oh, man, I had him. Oh, you had him? Yeah. Okay. He, uh, with Mark, I had him. Uh, he was he we did the Zoom thing, but he was only audio because he was uh, very against computers. Um, oh, yeah. And then <laughs> I was like, hey, man, uh, it sounds like you're in a wind tunnel for a good portion of your uh, your episode. Uh, would you mind coming on and doing it? Because Robert Alvarez, I don't know if you know him, but Robert Alvarez yeah. actually uh, set that one up. Um, and then crickets. So I'm going to reach back out to Mark and see if yeah, he can come back on. Yeah, you know, you know, I mean, Mark. Uh, well, besides besides Roger Rabbit and Little Mermaid and Ren and Stimpy, he worked on Yellow Submarine. Yes. <laughs> it's With like Robert. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He did my favorite. Um, oh, no, 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 counselor. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah my he did one of my favorite pieces in Heavy Traffic, the the Maybelline sequence, mm-hmm. and everything set to the Chuck Berry song. 
yeah. and all that, that was old Mark. Uh, you know, and Mark's an incredible historian. He knows. Yes. He, he's like a wall. I mean, you look at and you buy any animation book, you look at the acknowledgments, you see Mark Hausler. Yep. So he has to be. So yeah, he's yeah. trying to come back. So yeah, yeah. He he was a phenomenal guy because he went super deep. We talked pretty extensively about Roger Rabbit and then just his because that's the first thing Robert told me. He's like do not be surprised if he starts talking about one thing and then you guys look up and then it's two hours later because his knowledge <laughs> of animation is insane. He was like, I've yeah. never, he's like, I've, very, I've met very few people that are like him where he can just have, just, it comes, it's like pulling out a drawer for a filing cabinet. Yeah. He can go oh, right yeah. to it. And he can go super, super deep on it. I was yeah. like, man, that's so cool. He's, so yeah. He's like an old faithful geyser of animation that just like, <laughs> it's an incredible, incredible stuff. It really is, man. And the the last question here, uh, this one's, like I said, it's a little bit of introspective, but when you sit back and you, you're sitting on that porch, man, and you're thinking about all the things you've done from Disney uh, to He-Man to Shrek and all this other stuff, is there a, an era or is there a movie that you look back so fondly on about your career? Uh, I'd say Roger. Yeah. I'd say Roger, Roger was good fun and everything, you know, you know, because it was, it was, it was Disney stuff and and it was quality, and 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 um, uh, uh, and we were doing it in London and London's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, you know, after work you go and get a pint, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like it's, it's nice, you know, you know, it, it's just it's a, lot, a very international crew and uh, uh, and and working for Dick was always exciting, you know, he was always fun, and uh, you know, I really enjoyed that, you know. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of other stuff. Um, yeah, usually, yeah, usually working for, for Dick was fun. Um, I enjoyed, uh, uh, um, you know, actually it's funny, the He-Man show was yeah. was fun too, which is like, you know, you didn't, I mean, generally I was just happy to have the job, you know, and, and then when I was working on it, um, you know, I, I remember my first week turning to the guy next to me and going, the name of this show isn't really He-Man, right? That, that's like a temp title. It's going to be like Ragnar or Karnak. Yeah. No, it's, he-Man, like, okay, you know, but then it was a monster hit, you know, yeah. I still get invited to fan conventions, you know, they're, they're still asking me, like, you know, what was your inspiration when you did show MU37 Castle of Heroes? <laughs> Paying my rent. <laughs> Paying my rent express bill. <laughs> I wanted to eat dinner that day. <laughs> yes, yes, I like eating. You know. and, and, and it's funny because yeah, I, you know, I became friends with Lou Scheimer, and I remember going up to Lou Scheimer's house, and he has this beautiful home up in the Hollywood Hills, and all for ready, you know, Architects Digest, like really gorgeous place. And I said to him, I said, you know, you know, uh, He Man bought my first house. You know, I, I call it Casa de He Man. You know, you know. <laughs> and Lou looked at me, and he goes, Archie's. Archie's <laughs> sugar, sugar, da 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 da. <laughs> I go, ah, I see. Yeah. That's phenomenal, man. Well, like I said, this this has been a real blast. I, I didn't mean to take two hours of your time, I, but I really appreciate you sitting down with me, man. It, this is, I never know what I'm going to get as far as conversations, uh, what topics are going to come up, but I really appreciated this conversation, man. This is one. Great. Like I said, I, I haven't had too many conversations since the since the father-in-law passed a couple of weeks ago. It's been very difficult to talk cartoons. Um, and this has been this has been a real fun, I don't want to say distraction in a negative way, but this has been a real fun where I didn't have to think about anything negative. I didn't have to think about anything that was just weighing on mm-hmm. me and my family. So like I said, I really appreciate this time you spent with me tonight. Um, I mean, I spent a year working with Chris Rock and I never felt the urge to slap him. It's just... <laughs> 
when this one comes out, that's not going to be as topical, uh, but it's, it's going to, you know, it's already done. Yeah. yeah, it really is, man. And it's just, I'm, I'm pretty sure he wishes he can go back and redo what he did. Not yeah. Chris Rock, Will Smith. Oh, no, Will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Chris is, Chris is known for edgy humor. That's his whole, that's his whole thing. You know, like he's not gentle and everything. He, he goes right up to the edge of, of uh, and, and pushes your button, you know, and that's the, that's the way he rolls, you know. So, uh, you know, if, if Will had just shut up, looked up and smiled and, and said nothing, then the next day, nobody would be talking about this. We'd all be talking about uh, Chris's jokes were in dubious taste, you know, whatever. But but uh, it's 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 a it's a shame. It's a, it's a shame it happened. Yeah, it, yeah. it really is, man. And and it was a very tame joke. Yeah. And and a lot of people will go, did he deserve to be slapped? Maybe, but it didn't need to happen. You know, there's plenty of people you can sit there and say that's the great thing about this this thing that I I help defend the, the freedom of speech, man. You can say whatever it is you want as long as you're okay yeah. with the consequences. But I'm going to pose this question. I guarantee you, if it was The Rock sitting up there saying that joke and not Chris Rock, yeah, nobody is getting yeah. out of their chair. You know, and I, 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 I started this conversation when we were talking about Robin Williams being my favorite actor. Mm-hmm. My favorite actors that are still alive is Will Smith and Leonardo DiCaprio. Man, I got to say, I lost a lot of respect. And a lot of people go, well, what happens yeah. if it would have been your wife up there? Yeah. The thing with comedians, comedians don't have a medical record on everybody. They're like, oh, well, he knew because everybody knew that she had alopecia and it came out. This is the first I'd ever heard about it. I never I didn't even know what alopecia was. Yeah. And especially and and especially after Black Panther, there was a lot of women who were doing the shaved head thing as a fashion because it looked cool in the movie. You know, Uh, uh, the the old Hollywood thing to do would be would would be punch him out at the party. You know, just like you wait for the broadcast to be over, then you meet him later in the bar. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like there's a famous story about in the early 30s, um, John Gilbert, who was like sort of like uh, John Gilbert was kind of like the the, the Brad Pitt of, uh, of the late 20s. You know, he was a very matinee idol, very gorgeous, handsome young man. He was dating. Uh, he was with Greta Garbo. And he and Garbo were living together and they were going to get married and stuff. And supposedly after, after the Oscars at a party, uh, Louis B. Mayer said to him, uh, jokingly, he said, uh, why do you, uh, why do you want to get married when you're getting it anyway every day? So, and, and, and Gilbert punched him, actually knocked him down. And Louis B. Mayer jumped out and said, I'm going to ruin you if it costs me millions. <laughs> and, and Gilbert, well, sound was just hitting back then. Yeah. And Gilbert's voice wasn't that interesting. But a lot of people say that, you know, it wasn't, Gilbert wasn't completely ruined by sound, but, but just that the sound era came in and, and his star faded. The, the movie Star is Born is kind of based on Gilbert in a, in a way about, about, about like he went from this Brad Pitt style George Clooney like top tier to like no, nothing yeah. you know then there was another one about um, Humphrey Bogart got fired also by Louis B. Mayer because because uh, Louis was chasing one of the um, one of the young starlets you know you know and, and Bogart had moved from Warner Brothers over to MGM and, and and at one point they said, well, Mr. Mayor can't come in uh, because he had a riding accident, uh, you know, like he, he, he fell off his horse. And, and, and Bogey said, oh, I thought you were going to say he fell off May Clark. And, and, and Mayor fired him. 
it's like, but not out in the open, not in front of all the cameras of the world, you know, like yeah. that. So. It, it, it's definitely something that I think could have been handled. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, I'm pretty sure we've all been there, not to the, to the extent of that, but I mean, I'm pretty sure we've all been so hot over something, you know, I don't, I don't know what was going yeah. through his head. Most people don't know what was going through Will's head. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I just hope, I wish it never happened. I'm pretty sure everybody involved wish it never happened as well. Yeah, it's sad. Um, it's very sad. Yeah, you know, I feel sorry for the, we- the Venus and Serena Williams too, because yeah. that was supposed to be their night where they did honor their father, and and they and this their story became this terrific movie and this terrific performance, and then it's all thrown away because of this. You know, yeah, it all, all kicked to the curb. Unfortunately, um, hope, so. like I said, hope, hopefully something good will come of this. I have a feeling that it will because uh, you know just. Mm-hmm. People have got to, I don't want to say save face in, in, in a negative light, man, because people just, it always seems like, oh, I got to, I got to sit here and look one way in front of the camera and look another way when the cameras aren't on me. So like yeah, I said, hopefully, good. you know, by the time, I don't know, next week rolls around, uh, this will be straightened out or, you know, some bridges mm-hmm. will be, you know, mended instead of burnt down, yeah. you know, yeah. so I've got yeah. hope, you know, I try to be as optimistic, optimistic as possible and a very yeah. pessimistic time or a realistic time, depending on how you look at life. Um, yeah. But like I said, man, I, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your canter. Uh, like I said, this has been very cathartic for me. I, I really enjoyed okay. it. So, um, good. Thank you. Like I said, man, this has been real fun. Uh, we'll have to do it again and we'll go super, super deep and uh, we'll throw it up there for the fans to choose whatever movie they want to talk about. And then we'll see if you want to okay. come back on and we'll talk again. But uh, he's been Tom. I've been joined. This has been a What's in My Head podcast. This has been another piece of your childhood. Good night. All right. Thanks again for checking out the What's In My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.